Bibles that are provided to you in the church, Proverbs chapter 21, verse 20 to 23. And as you're looking that up, let me just, uh, first of all, um, uh, thank the church for your support, your prayers, your um, your care for us. Uh, as, you know, as recently, my, my father passed away, and uh, we're grateful for our church family that, uh, um, that we can lean on, that uh, prays for us, that does uh, support for us. I just want to say thank you for, for your love, um, for, your, for your fellowship. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 20 to 23, uh, page 933, if you're using the Bibles provided here in the church, we're going to pray together and ask that uh, the Lord would give us wisdom, as we just say. Father, we, we join together to come and, and uh, uh, hear from your word together. And we ask that uh, as we do this uh, as, as a body, that uh, you would use us to encourage each other in our hearing of the word, and that uh, we would be encouraged by, by the, the ones sitting around us, um, that uh, as we hear together, that um, uh, your spirit would work in us and draw us to Jesus. Give us wisdom, but help us especially to see the wisdom of our Savior and be, be amazed once more, fall in love once more with the one who um, loved us so much. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Do you know people who are um, focused on success, who are chasing after success, and who measure it by things like wealth and status and influence and, and maybe power? Do you, do you know people like that? Um, it's a focus that, you know, we, we say, hey, that's, that's in the world, but it really bleeds into the church. And what happens is, um, one, one example of that is, is how Christians sometimes approach the book of Proverbs. And so what we do is we, we approach the book of Proverbs, to, we study it to find principles that will help us to be successful in life. And so we want to be successful with money, or we want to be successful <coughs> in leadership, or we want to be successful in, in, our, in our family, or uh, we want to be successful in our parents or in our marriage or, 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 and so on and so on. We, we want to be successful in, in all these various areas of our lives. And we go to Proverbs to try and find these principles that will help us to be, to be successful. And, so, and, and, and we look at that and we say, is that what the book of Proverbs is about? About how to be a success in life? And what I want to do in this message is do a bit of a dive into the subject of prosperity and triumph, which are two marks of success. And our text is Proverbs 21, verse 20 to 23. Let me just read those verses. The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. Whoever pursues righteousness and love finds life, prosperity, and honor. One who is wise can go up against the city of the mighty and pull down the stronghold in which they trust. Those who guard their mouths and their tongues keep themselves from calamity. The passage mentions the wise twice. The wise have an abundance of, 
choice food and olive oil in verse 20, and the wise pull down the stronghold of the mighty in verse 22. And then the alternate verses, verses 21 and 23, begin with participles. So forgive, forgive me for that grammar lesson, but, but you know, all this ESL ministry stuff, <laughs> that kind of bleeds in here, right? <laughs> but, uh, but they begin with participles, and they tell us why the wise are prosperous, prosperous verse 21, and why they are free from calamity, verse 23. And clearly what these verses hold out for us is the promise of prosperity and triumph to the wise. So what are we to make of this? There's a false teaching in the church commonly called the prosperity gospel or the health and wealth gospel. And it basically says that the more faith we have, the more God will reward us with health and wealth in the here and now. Is this what Proverbs is telling us? Is this, is this what Proverbs is about? Is about? Um, uh, you know, many parts of the book, including this particular passage, say that God will cause his children to flourish. Are these promises for us to claim? Are these the promises for us to claim? Or does Proverbs, as one scholar puts it, promise too much? Does Proverbs promise too much? One common approach to the book is to say that it doesn't have promises at all, but merely principles and probabilities. So Proverbs is not giving us promises, but it's merely giving us principles to live by. It's giving us probabilities of what will happen if we do what God calls us to do. It merely tells us what is likely to be true if we live by God's wisdom. And according to this view, Proverbs has precepts to be, to be followed, not promises to be claimed. There is a third approach to the book. Uh, I think that it does better justice to God. It does better justice to his word. I believe that Proverbs does give us promises properly understood. Uh, a, a proverb is by nature short, it's concise, by its very nature it doesn't express the entire truth of a matter. One proverb may show the truth from one angle, and then another proverb may show the, similar, the same truth from a different angle. And in order for us to understand the entire truth, we need to see both proverbs together so that we can understand the full picture. What the, proverbs promise, what the proverb promises is true, but what we need to ask is this, in what way is it true? Yes, the promise is true, but in what way is it true? And often Solomon isn't focused on the fulfillment of the promise in this life, but he looks at the world with the end in mind. He, he, he's not promising health and wealth right now. Instead, we have to look beyond this life for the ultimate fulfillment of, of his promises. We may get a taste of the promise. We may get a taste of the fulfillment right now. But the ultimate fulfillment is in the world to come. The fullness will only come in the new heavens and the earth. And because God will ultimately fulfill his promises, because we are, he will bring us safely home, as we say, so we can find courage and hope to live by faith to the very end. And that's what I hope this message does. It, 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 
if, you, if you're kind of beaten down, if you're saying, you know, what's the point of, of, of continuing on? What I hope this message does is it just fills you with fresh hope. Say, there is an end. And there is a prize at the very end. And that prize is worth it all. And I will pursue to the very end. And so that's the view of success I want us to explore in this message. Number one, the wise prosper by pursuing God's righteousness and the wise triumph by protecting their words. So number one, the wise pursue God's righteousness and will prosper, verses 20 and 21. Proverbs 21, verse 20 says, the wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. That word for choice food can mean more than just food. It refers to a storehouse or a treasury where good, desirable things are stored up. It could be food, it could be wine, it could be gold, it could be fabric. This is a storehouse of good. The phrase store up can also be a little bit misleading because it makes us think of actively putting something away. But the idea here is simply that the wise have storehouses of precious goods, whereas the foolish gulp everything down. And, and, And so the typical application of this is that it's wise to exercise restraint, okay? Don't consume everything that you get. Don't spend it all. Exercise moderation. Uh, have, the, have the foresight to save some for, for later. And that way, over time, you will have a store of provisions. And as far as financial advice goes, that's, that's pretty good advice, right? Don't consume everything all at once. Store up some for later. And that's how this verse is typically um, uh, applied in terms of in terms of our lives, and like, like I said again, good financial advice. But remember what I said earlier about you know different proverbs shedding different light on uh, on certain truths. Well, if you go back a few verses to verse seventeen, you'll read this: Whoever loves pleasure will become poor. Whoever loves wine and olive oil will never be rich. Right, and so there's that, that word olive oil, or just oil. Olive oil, oil, is a symbol of prosperity. And so what you have is, um, on one hand, the wise have a storehouse of olive oil. They are prosperous. On the other hand, the fool loves olive oil. They love prosperity. And so it's, pro- it's possible to be wise and to prosper but if we love prosperity, we are fools who will end up with nothing. And so given that reality, how do we maintain wisdom and not be fools when it comes to being prosperous? Right? You, see the, you see the tension there? On one hand, the wise are prosperous. On one hand, the foolish love prosperity. So how do, we, how, how do we know if we're wise or we're foolish with wealth, with prosperity? The second half of verse 20 provides a clue on what it means to be foolish. And verse 21 clarifies what it means to be wise. That expression at the end of uh, the second part of verse 20, fools gulp theirs down. 
Picture someone greedily devouring something. Um, but it's more than just spending everything. It's more than just consuming everything uh, right away. The point is that they want it all for themselves. This is the idea of, 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 of gulping it all down. They want it all for themselves. And what I'm reminded of is of the, of the rich farmer that Jesus spoke about in Luke chapter 12. He said, this man had a great harvest, far more than he had ever had, and uh, as, as he saw this big harvest, his first thought was, how do I keep this for myself? How do I keep this for myself? Uh, he actually, you know, he, he had all of these barns, uh, but, but he said, what am I going to do? I have no place to store my crops. He had barns, but what he didn't have was he didn't have enough barn. It wasn't big enough to, to hold all of the harvest that he had that year. And Jesus said of this rich farmer, this man is a fool. Now, technically, technically, he didn't devour everything at all at once. He wanted to save it, right? Technically, he wanted to keep it for later. He didn't devour it all at once, but he captures the spirit of Proverbs 21.20. A fool is someone who greedily wants it all for himself, and that's what this rich farmer wanted. He wanted it all for himself. We are fools. And we take the prosperity that God gives us, whatever it is, whether small or big, and we want it all for ourselves. The wise person is different in what he or she desires. The fool wants wealth, but the wise crave something else altogether. Verse 21 says it like this. Whoever pursues righteousness and love will find life, prosperity, and honor. The wise person is on the path of prudence and he pursues after, she pursues after righteousness and love. Righteousness being, means being right with God and doing what is right in God's eyes in our, in our relationships with each other. It is expressed by love or loving kindness. This is this is covenantal love. It is the loyal love. It is the, it is the love that is committed to acts of mercy, grace, and kindness in our relationships according to God's commands. This kind of righteousness and love is what, is what, the, is what the wise pursue after. I, I said earlier, you know, that what we often do with Proverbs 21, verse 20, is that we apply it as a principle about how do we manage money, right? So we approach Proverbs 21, verse 20, and say, okay, this is the way that we manage our finances. We don't spend everything we have. We don't save for the future. And, and what verse 21 shows us is that there is more going on here than just managing our finances, this is talking about more than just how we handle the money that comes in and goes out uh, each, uh, each week. 
And, and this was really brought home to me by, by an article that I read in a, in a financial blog um, that, I, that I enjoy reading. Um, the, the, the blog is about finance, it's not about faith. It is written, uh, you know, just to a wide audience. It is not, I, I have no idea about the writer's spiritual background or his uh, religious background, but the, but the article helped me to see that sometimes good money advice, sometimes even good Christian money advice falls short of the heart of God. Um, you know, I look back on, on, on my own life in terms of and how far short sometimes the heart of God has been from, from my, the, 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 my understanding of, of good financial advice. And here's, what, here's the quote that, I, that just grabbed me that was so relevant to this message. Here's, here's what he says. There's an, here's a, he says, here's an important distinction about people who spend less than they earn. Good financial advice, right? Here's an important distinction about people who spend less than they earn. He says, frugal, but frugal, by my definition, means depriving yourself of something you want and could afford. Then he says this, not wanting something to begin with because you get your pleasure and identity from sources that can't be purchased is something entirely different. Wow. Um, can I read that again? All right. An important distinction about people who spend less than they earn. Frugal says, by my definition, means depriving yourself of something you want and could afford. That's often Christian advice. Not wanting something to begin with because you get your pleasure and identity from sources that can't be purchased is something entirely different. And keep in mind, this is about people in general. This guy is writing to a wide audience. He's not writing from a Christian perspective as far as I know. But do you see how it applies to the wise? When it comes to, to wealth, to use, to use that, uh, to his, his distinctions, the wise are not merely frugal. The wise are not merely frugal. They may appear frugal, but there is something entirely different going on. They don't earn and spend money and save money because they want security or status or any other symbols of success. They don't, they don't, they're not frugal because of fire. All right, financial independence, retirement early. That's not why they're frugal. They have an entirely different value system to begin with. They get their pleasure and their identity from someplace else altogether. Namely, they pursue after righteousness and love. That's what they pursue after. Righteousness and love. Which is to say they pursue after God because he is the essence of righteousness and love. It's because they chase after God that they view and they hold and they use money differently. So are we wise? Are you and I wise? In the way God says is wisdom. 
The answer isn't merely how we handle our money. The answer is what we chase after. Are we relentlessly pursuing righteousness and love? And the Solomon goes on and says, listen, if, if, if we pursue righteousness and love, we will find life, prosperity, and honor. What does that mean? Is that a promise of health and wealth right now? Let me take a little bit of a closer look with you at these, at these promises. First, God promises life to those who pursue righteousness and love. Jesus explained life from God like this. Now this is life. This is eternal life. This is life that goes on and on and on. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So he has a different, he has a different view of love, of life, right? Solomon has the same idea in mind. In Proverbs, life typically refers to abundant life. It's not a life of a material abundance and comfort in this world. Uh, Derek Kidner in, in, a, in his commentary says that in several places it is not too much to say that life means fellowship with God. It's the same idea that Jesus had. Life is a relationship with God. It is fellowship with him. It is to know the only true God and Jesus whom God has sent. And so this life is a relationship with the living God that transcends physical death. We will die physically, but we will still have this life forever. And so we have the life of God now through faith in Jesus, and we have the full experience of this life unhindered by sin, this fellowship with him in the new heaven and the new earth. So we have the promise of life. Second, God promises prosperity to those who pursue righteousness. And you may have a footnote in your Bible that says this, is, this, word, um, this word prosperity is related to the word righteousness. It is the prosperity that comes from righteousness. Right? There, there are people who prosper because they pursue prosperity. And that prosperity will pass away when they die. Death will bring it to an end. God gives a different prosperity to those who pursue righteousness. It goes beyond death. It may involve a measure of blessing now for the purpose of advancing righteousness, but most importantly, it is treasure in heaven. So again, Jesus, right? Uh, in Matthew 6, 1, Jesus said, be, war be careful. Don't practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Be careful about practicing your righteousness in front of people, because you know what? You will get a prosperity, you will get a reward from that kind of righteousness, but it won't be, it won't be, it won't be the prosperity of heaven. It won't be the prosperity that my father gives, Jesus says. Then he goes on and says, instead, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. There is a prosperity that comes from righteousness, that transcends this world, that goes on forever and ever 
It is treasures in heaven. Pursue that. Pursue that. Pursue righteousness. And you will have the prosperity of eternity. Third, God promises honor or glory to those who pursue righteousness. Righteousness. We're to give glory to God because he's worthy of, of all honor. He is worthy of all praise. God alone is worthy of such honor. He is, we are not worthy of, of, of the honor that is due to, to God. But get this. God, in his grace, says, I will share my glory with you. I will share my glory with you. We... You know, we chase after recognition. We chase after applause because we want to make a name for ourselves. We want self-made honor. We want self-made glory. It's a fleeting honor. But God's eternal glory, he amazingly wants to honor us with that same glory. The Apostle Paul says, for our light and momentary troubles, they are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. God sharing his glory with us. Life, prosperity, honor. If you have a desire to succeed, if you have a desire to be successful, it may be that, that that desire is rooted in how God made you. If you have a desire for those things, it may be that those desires are rooted in how God made you. But if you look for that prosperity and success in the things of this world, in the health and wealth of, of, of right now, then your idea of prosperity, as one person said it, is too small. Your idea of success is too small. We were made for something greater, for abundant life for treasures in heaven, for eternal glory, for a prosperity that transcends this world. We, we will be satisfied only when Christ returns. Only when we reach home will we be fully, fully satisfied. And so don't settle for something less. Until we reach home, let's be faithful to live out the wisdom of God in the calling, in the circumstances where he has placed us, however hard that may be. May we pursue until the end. The wise, uh, the wise are those who pursue God's righteousness and will prosper. The wise are those who protect their words and they will triumph. They will triumph. Right? Proverbs 21 verse 22 says um, of the wise, one who is wise can go up against the city of the mighty and pull down the stronghold in which they, tr in which they trust. Um, this verse 
is is um, beautiful. The structure of it is uh, is um, something just just awesome to behold. So the two words that start and end the sentence in the original language are city at the start and trust at the end. And that word trust refers to security. So the city is the place of security. All right. The next two words in from the ends are mighty and stronghold. The mighty were hero warriors in the ancient world. world, And the word, word stronghold speaks of strength. The mighty are the strong. And then the next words in are go up and pull down. Contrasting words that speak of triumph and defeat. And finally at the top, in the center of this structure, is the wise. The wise. Um, so what you have is this. The city of the mighty goes up the wise and pulls down the stronghold of security. It's this word picture that, that says, listen, the wise are stronger than the mighty. The wise are stronger than the mighty and they will bring down their secure fortress. They will bring down their secure fortress. How do we apply this? Well, the common way is to think of wisdom as being greater than physical strength. And so a leader's strategic plan might be able to, to de defeat a superior political or military power. Right? So using a little bit, bit of brain power is sometimes greater than brute force, and that's how it's often applied. Um, but I think that the imagery in this verse takes us in a slightly different direction because elsewhere in Proverbs, a city and its, um, and its stronghold are used metaphorically. Specifically, the city of the mighty is said to be wealth. Their riches are, their, are, are the stronghold in which they trust. Uh, go to Proverbs 10, 15, 18, 11 sometime. You'll see the, 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 wealth, the, the wealthy, the rich, trust in this stronghold. That's their, they trust in their riches. It's their city. It's their fortress. It's the place that the, that's stronghold for them. And we could expand this to, to so many things. We trust in health. We trust in numbers. We trust in power. We trust in competence. We trust in position and so on and so on. And yet none of these things we trust in are a match for the wisdom of God. Wisdom is the divine power that penetrates and demolishes human strongholds. And so... People trust in, there's, a, there's an election coming up in the U.S. There's a lot of people trusting in political power. And people have money in their bank accounts and they're trusting in their, in their, in their wealth. And they have, they have accomplished a lot in their careers and they're trusting in that, in that, um, in, in what they've accomplished in the workplace. 
and wisdom is greater than all those things that we trust in. And if we trust in those things against God, wisdom will pull those strongholds down. And because God's wisdom demolishes human strongholds, that's why we put our hope in him. That's why we put our hope in his wisdom. This is the mighty fortress that will stand against all foes. And as verse 23 shows us, it provides the greatest protection. It is the most secure stronghold. Right? Those who guard their mouths and their tongues keep themselves from calamity. The words guard and keep are the same Hebrew word. Those who guard their mouths guard themselves. Those who, um, uh, those who guard their mouths guard their souls. This is the city wall that cannot be scaled by the enemy because it is guarded by God's wisdom. Um, this is, the, this is the, the stronghold that cannot be torn down. Um, the stronghold for your soul that cannot be torn down, it is wisdom. And specifically, it's the wisdom to guard your words. Right? The, the, and the reason that the, the connection is there is because you see throughout the Bible that uh, what we say with our words has eternal spiritual significance. The, the tongue causes us to stumble in many ways. It is like a fire from hell itself, an entire world of wickedness which, which corrupts the entire body and sets the whole course of our life on fire. It is an untamable beast. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And if we can guard our tongues and keep our mouths from speaking evil and telling lies then we are truly wise with the wisdom of God. It is not by power. It is not by might. It is by relying on God's spirit of wisdom dwelling in us that we guard our mouths, that we guard our soul. And this is the wisdom that will triumph. This is what keeps us from all kinds of calamity. You know, at a social relational level, we know how our words can get, get us into trouble, right? How many times have, have, we, have we not guarded our mouths and words have slipped through our lips and as they're going out, you can see them and you're, and you're like, no, right? And, 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 and we say it and it gets us into all kinds of trouble. We, we know the minute it's coming out of our mouths, it's going to get us into trouble and it does. There is a calamity, there is a trouble that is far worse than someone being angry at you because you said something. There's something far worse. This word calamity, this word trouble is used of the ultimate calamity of God's judgment. What will protect us on that day when God's judgment is poured out on the world. What will protect us? You know what won't protect us? The city of the mighty and the stronghold in which they trust. 
wealth and health and numbers and power and competence and position, none of these will protect us on that day. But the wisdom of God, secured for us by the grace of God, by the grace of Christ, and lived out through the, the, the Spirit of God, that will keep our soul, that will guard our soul on that day when we stand before the judge of all the earth. That's a wisdom that is worth pursuing. What kind of success are you chasing after in your life? What kind of success? When we look at God's promises in light of, of, of this you know, upside-down world, sometimes, sometimes God's promises, they, they seem kind of like, God, you said, so why? They seem empty. They seem futile. God's path seems more like failure than success sometimes, and so we struggle. We doubt. We, we become discouraged. We become, we become apathetic. You know, why bother? And what we need is a fresh glimpse of the, of the end. God will keep his promises. He will. But how do we know that? How do we know that they will come true in the world to come? How do we know that God will do what he says when it often seems like Proverbs promises too much? When I look around at the world, um, now I'll confess to you, there are times when I look around and I begin to question my faith. And when that happens, what I do, what I need to do, is to refocus on Jesus. We need to look to Christ. In Jesus, we have the infinitely wise God of the universe becoming human in every way except without sin. And as a man, he learned wisdom. He learned it in the same way you and I do. He learned it from the scriptures. He learned it from Proverbs. He obeyed the, the teachings of scriptures. He obeyed the teachings of Proverbs. He pursued righteousness and love. He guarded his mouth and he did it all perfectly without any ounce of sin. And if anybody should receive the promises of Proverbs, it was Jesus. And yet in this world, he had no place to lay his head. In this world, he was despised. In this world, he had no honor. In this world, he was crucified. Strong men took him and nailed him to a cross. He had no prosperity. He had no honor. He had no triumph. Jesus entered our seemingly failed experiences of God's promises, even to the point of death. He entered it. But then he was raised from the grave, and he was vindicated. And through his resurrection, he redeemed every seeming failure of God's promises. So that by his victory over death, every work that you and I do in the Lord will ultimately prosper and triumph. So don't settle for any other success than what God has prepared for you. Don't settle. We're almost home. Keep pursuing. Let me end with this quote. 
God will not let us stray. He will complete the work he began. So we give ourselves to this end. We trust, we fear, and we honor him. Knowing our loving Father will make sure, one way or another, he will one day step, that we will one day step into the fullness of his promises. One day. One day. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, when we doubt, when we struggle to understand, when we don't know why, when we are discouraged, when we're about to give up, remind us. Remind us that you are holding on to us. Remind us that you're walking with us. Remind us what you have promised. May we not settle, oh God, for what is less than what you have said you would give to us. Let us cling unwaveringly to the hope that is set before us. For you will bring us safely home. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.